Sounds great. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. Welcome to Taz Talk, the show where we talk about the Adventure Zone podcast. Um, we are talking about episodes six and seven of season two, Taz Amnesty. Um, sorry we missed last week. Chelsea was at Coachella <laughs> having a blast. I I actually, like, I was fully, I put it in my calendar. I said, we're going to record the Adventure Zone. I was listening to the podcast, like, in the car on my way to Coachella. I was so ready. And then I realized I didn't have my recording equipment. And I, I was, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. This will be good. I think it'll be good to do both of these because yeah. I don't have a, a ton of notes. Yeah, we have so um, many, so. so many things to talk about. Okay. Um, where do you want to start? All right, let's knock it out. Okay. Um, well, I guess let's just start at the beginning of episode six. Sure. Um, one thing that surprise or one thing of note i guess is that so the episode starts off with this scene of this swim guy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the swim the swim boy calvin owens um and he gets attacked by our new monster our new abomination i suppose yeah. in the pool the school pool if this were like a real monster of the week tv show calvin owens would have died in that pool and then they <laughs> would have like went to investigate the crime scene afterward. You know what I mean? Like, I I just got the sense that, like... And it's fun, because he came back and he got to be a character later, but my initial impression was, like, it's this is the Adventure Zone, so it's not going to go down like that, you know? (laughs) Everyone's got to live or come back as a lich. Um, (laughs) I I was thinking, like, we we were saying how um, Griffin is getting much more comfortable with long narratives. He He is really getting very comfortable with long narratives and I, I just wanted to point that out again that uh this this show is it just sounds so polished okay I, I mentioned yes. that because I was listening to I re-listened to balance uh, again of course <laughs> and I just like the the production value is just it's so much more advanced I mean that's what happens when you do this thing for a while but yeah. I just you know like kudos to Griffin and kudos to the boys just because it it sounds like a legit, honest to god radio show, um, I I did also want to quickly mention um, that now that we're settled in doing like our new arc, our new long term arc, um, how much I love that we're in Goof Town again, um, <laughs> like it's it's not as rampant as as say like here there be Gerblins, but um, just like the little things like Robert Cat, I thought that was great. Yeah, there's yeah, even I think with the. Well, we'll we'll get to episode seven, and then we'll talk about some of the goofy the goofy shit that went on there. Um, but yeah, it, it is fun to see. Like again, we've talked about this, and I I do think this world is just more serious inherently, and it doesn't allow for so much silly world building. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's still there is still kind of to some extent like uh, I don't want to say magical realism because that's <laughs> not exactly the right thing, but like a kind of like playing loose with reality you know yeah, yeah it is a comedy show so it is it is um so oh, aubrey went on like maybe like a little fun date maybe hot spring dip with danny i'm so psyched for aubrey's vampire girlfriend i then. am too i'm excited I'm so for them for too <laughs> i'm excited for them to like um better <clears throat> get to know each other um i also liked jake coolice's little cameo yes <laughs> I love Jake Cool. He cried in his room. See, that's what I'm talking about. Just like they're still being silly with these characters, which is fun. Yes, yes, yes. I think that the conversation that Aubrey and um, Danny had about how like 
we we see things that are unknown and we try to give names to them and then when we you know learn more about them and we realize oh that's what it's actually called well that's weird because i was calling it this like that is such a, a relatable um thing about like you being a human and learning about different cultures like when you're trying to grapple with the unknown and trying to learn about things you're going to identify them with things that are similar um but i think what's really important is that when you actually like take the time to talk to someone who's from that culture or you know take the time to actually learn about it um that you're open to what the truth really is instead of you know what your perceived truth was so, that is fun yeah, yeah i do like that it's like on when getting close enough to someone or some group of people to understand their culture on their terms rather than having to sort of fit it into whatever model you have yeah. and compare it to your own culture. Yeah. That, That's interesting. That was like, that was kind of like a big topic, uh, <laughs> for like actually the first 10 minutes of, of this, uh, role-playing podcast. And I was, I just thought that was like, huh, that's really Cool. I, I was. Yeah. I was pretty impressed. <laughs> I was pretty impressed with the way that um, Griffin and Travis like handled that kind of topic before. But yeah, um, that's fine. Yeah, I like the the shit Justin pulled out of his ass about Duck's relationship with Mrs. Pearson. Oh my that's very god. Cute. I really like that a lot. So that's the other thing I I really like about Justin in this arc is that he is um he's really like investing a lot in like character development. He's and so world in character. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. He's he's so in character and he's also oh man I'm I'm excited to talk about Duck in episode seven. Um, Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but I also really love that he's you know trying to add a flavor to this hometown kind of story because we've talked before about how uh, this podcast is set in West Virginia and we were really excited to see the boys like colloquialisms and things yeah. like that. So I think even more than that, Justin trying to you know. Um, hey, are you Vicky's girl? Or, like, mm-hmm, I went mm-hmm. to high school with your... Was it, like, Calvin's dad or something? Like, like yeah. little little <laughs> things like that go so much... Go so far in, like, world building. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's it's a delight. Yeah, Justin adds a lot of flavor that makes this town feel very real. Yes. And it's fun that... I mean, that's kind of the collaborative nature of this thing. Kind of Griffin saying, like, okay, well, I had names, but now I have to change them. But, like, it's a good thing that they can do that, you know? Like, yeah. they are building this world together. And I think it makes it more... It makes it more personal for the other boys when they get to add in their own stuff, you know? It does. It does. And I, that's, that's the thing that, you know, kind of endeared us to them in the first place is... Um, that they could make goofs and that they could roll with it and that, you know, the goofs come back and maybe uh, play a, an int- like an integral role in the storytelling, Barry Blue Jeans. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, to, to see that happening again is that's, that's why I think I keep coming back is because of the relationship they have with each other and the creativity that comes out of those relationships. Definitely. Um, I want to talk about uh, Minerva and Duck real quick. Ooh, yeah, go for it. Um, so, remember when we were talking about TTAZZ, mm-hmm. we talked about, I, I was kind of arguing, like, I think those kind of surprise spell moments would still happen because it wasn't just about the mechanics of Dungeons & Dragons, it was, um, you know, it was the personalities of the players also. Yeah. Like, the kind of arms outstretched sort of moments where, like, Griffin has to, like, figure out, oh, they're doing something I didn't expect. But I, I'm actually, I'm I'm wondering how true that is because one thing that struck me was when 
Um, Duck was fighting with Minerva, basically having a sword fight. And Griffin and Justin ended up kind of negotiating the sword fight mechanics a little mm, bit. Mm-hmm. Like, Justin was trying to say, like, well, maybe because it's a magic sword, it would actually hit her. Oh, or, like, yeah. there would be some contact. And Griffin was like, no, nah, I don't think that's how it works. Um, which is an interesting conversation. But because the rule structure is so loose, there might be more negotiating the mechanics rather than Justin saying like, okay, I'm using this totally legal spell right here and Griffin going, oh God, okay, yeah. I guess I have to allow it. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah. that's, that's the really neat thing about Monster of the Week is uh, because it is so collaborative, um, these negotiations, uh, like you were saying, um, it, it's, a, it's a really clever way of trying to rectify things that happen in fiction uh, versus things that you want to do. Um, mm-hmm. so like, I, I think in D and D we appreciated it because it was familiar. It was like, oh, that's a call out to D and I'm a nerd. I know what that is. And that's a delight uh-huh. for me. Um, but yeah. <laughs> monster of the week is basically, I want to do this. Can I fit this in the, in the square hole that you've set out for me? Um, uh-huh. it's, you're right. Like with, with the fast and loose, not fast and loose, but with the, um, looser kind of rules, um, the gameplay is much more creative and collaborative. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you think that as we go further along? So hmm, I was gonna actually save this for episode seven, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bring it up. Just right do now. it. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Cool. So <laughs> so um, something that I really appreciated with Aubrey's scene in the pool when she was trying to you know make it colder essentially. Because, uh-huh. like, I, I re-listened to um, episode one and two of Amnesty, um, and I remember thinking, oh, yeah, Aubrey's, Aubrey's whole shtick is fire. She's Lady Flame. So mm-hmm. for them to take, okay, Aubrey's thing is fire, how would she make something like a swimming pool colder? Like, that whole conversation and, and that whole, like, trying to figure out how to make Travis's square peg fill into like the narrative's circle hole is that was like such interesting uh interaction to see between yeah when when he was saying oh i want to make a cool breeze i was really surprised that i didn't really i mean i guess you know he is a a wizard class i guess he's play or like the wizard archetype or however the the class kind of mechanic is named and I guess you can just do whatever magic. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't I didn't realize it wasn't like confined to Travis's specialty. So that's why I was like kind of relieved when they were trying to really fit it in because it, it seemed inconsistent to me that like, oh, suddenly Aubrey could summon a little wind. Yeah. And actually yeah. I thought I thought that when they kind of started to talk about that, I thought it would have made total sense because like wind does have to do with temperature differentials mm-hmm. in the air mm-hmm. so i thought that would have been a totally like that explanation totally tracked for me if like aubrey can control not just fire but heat and basically change the temperature in the room in a way that created wind like yeah. i would have totally bought that yeah you know if, if this i thought w- that was neat <laughs> i did too if this was like a like a like a supernatural or a buffy like an actual live action tv show i think that yeah. kind of concept would be really hard to convey that we have this fire like this magician that's really known for fire making a room colder like i think yeah. i needed to hear them talk about it so that i yeah. could you know justify it in the in the narrative um yeah it was cool yeah um let's move on to ned ned's scene oh. at the cryptonomica when he was starting to record saturday night dead which i think is such a hilarious oh, name that was so um, good. And I like, 
I really want for Ned and Barclay to develop, like, an unlikely sort of friendship. Oh, yeah. And, like, have Barclay just kind of, like, start hanging out at the Cryptonomica or something. Like, I think <laughs> just the way their relationship is starting off, I think it's, like, a very fun setup for them eventually getting close. Yeah. Like, that's that's what I'm hoping for, because I just think it's so funny. Like, they're they're kind of immediately at odds here. They, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I... Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I, I was just going to mention that I really liked... Um, Ned's developing relationship with Kirby. Um, mm-hmm. Just because I think Ned is, he really shines when he's in conversation with people. Because then you can really see, like, how clever his character is and um, how his showmanship, especially, like, his conversations with Kirby in particular, just because that's kind of when he's being his, like, almost his yeah. true nature. Mm-hmm. Um, which his true nature is to be a showman. So I think <laughs> his conversations with Kirby, I think, are some of my favorite things. Um, I especially, Ned is so great. Ned Clint's is really doing great. a great job. Um, I, I really like Ned. <laughs> I appreciated that Travis also tried to, you know, add more flavor. Um, oh my god, that scene was so funny. It was so good. Oh, man. Was so I loved good. that. It was adorable. That was really good. Um, I really like all three of these characters a lot. Especially, I re-listened to the mini, uh, the mini arc. Yeah, yeah. Before I started season two, and like, I really like Aubrey. She's adorable. <laughs> she is. She just has a lot of really funny quirks that I think. I think listening again, I found her more relatable the second time. Because at first, I was like, okay, this, like, are we like going into Mary Sue territory here, <laughs> Travis? But like, I kind, I kind of love her. She has enough like really cute flaws that I dig her a lot. I love, so I love the idea that, um, when the locals run into a monster, they don't really know who to turn to. Yeah. So they go, to, they go to Ned fucking Jacane <laughs> at the Cryptonomica. Like, I love this idea of this kind of, like, untrustworthy, kind of sleazy guy. Yeah. But, like, he is the only thing they have that they know of that approximates, like, a local authority. <laughs> so we've got, uh, captain of the swim team, fucking, uh, Calvin Owens, hesitantly going into the cryptonomica going like i don't know where to go but something really weird happened to me yeah. i just think it's like so funny so bomb bombs it, it, we've established that bomb bombs have been a thing for like the past 20 years so, yeah and and we've talked before about how ned inherited an inherited bot uh i'm gonna stick with inherited cryptonomica has Do also it. been around for a number of years so yeah i'm curious to see how it's gonna unfold that like i hope that we're gonna learn more about who this person um that used to run the cryptonomica yeah like, me too who they were i bet they were maybe part of the pine guard or maybe they were just like a fan because they kept seeing oh, abominations hmm. yeah yeah so just a thought um because i, I was thinking like well if the abominations have been here for a while and Ned has not been here for a whole heck of a long time. Sorry, my voice is, like, going. <laughs> I think it's changed in, like, the past 30 seconds. Um, but, like, I'm curious to see, like, they've got to go back and they've got to, like, explain it more because Ned is such a rich character with such a promising <laughs> background. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see uh, what their backstories are. But in the meantime, I'm pretty pleased with what's going on right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Man, so we get uh, Agent Stern, I think, mm-hmm. walking up at the end of the episode. Is that his name? Yeah, Agent Stern. The FB- Did we get a first Chelsea- name? Yeah, what? I don't think so. Okay. Chelsea, um, meddling government agents <laughs> is one of my favorite tropes. I'm really <laughs> excited for this character. You know, 
<laughs> you know, like the the redhead CIA guy in the Iron Giant. Yes. Yes. And yes, like yes, yes. Eye, eyebrows guy in FLCL. Yes. 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 I like fu- that like character trope. Of this kind of like bumbling guy <laughs> like trying to get to the bottom of your cryptid mystery. It's so funny. I can't wait for this character. Oh man, I I'm really psyched about that. <laughs> I it's just like am one- too. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh no yeah. no. I just wanted to mention that like that is such a fun trope. I, I, you don't mm-hmm. really typically hear people talking about that, but dude, that, yeah, that is really fun. Uh-huh. In the X-Files, yeah, like, <clears throat> some of Mulder and Scully's best moments are when they're kind of just, like, trying to figure stuff out, and in the meantime, mm-hmm. they're being kind of goofy. Like, that's mm-hmm. great. That's really great. Yeah, I, I, this is something that I really appreciate about this sort of genre of, of live play tabletop games, because something, I mean, there's tropes can be used well or not well mm-hmm. in a in a piece of fiction um but i mean i think it's generally accepted that you want to like play with tropes and you want to like but you want your thing to be fresh or whatever and you want to yeah. like make something that has original ideas but something about having a tabletop game like this just like the tropes are so fun when you are have when you have to like play them out i remember also in commitment one thing that was so funny was when um Nadia, like, oh, yes. just went, like, movie hacker on one of the drones that were following around, following them around, and just really, like, hand-wavy, oh, I'm gonna reprogram this thing real quick. And that's something that, like, if you saw that in a movie, it would be like, oh my god, you know, that's bullshit. But, like, in this context, it was so funny yeah. to, like, nod to that kind of trope. And so it's just, like, Griffin is hitting me in, like, right in the good spot here with this <laughs> one, you know what I mean? It's just like, god, yes! Like, lay it on thick, Griff. <laughs> Lay it on thick, Griff. <laughs> Did that sound more sexual than I meant it to? A little bit. <laughs> Just like the tiniest bit. Um, before before we move on to episode seven, can we talk real yeah. quick? Uh, I just wanted to mention mention. I just wanted to mention uh, assuage is such a good underused word. Oh, it's it certainly is definitely. I I was also thinking about like man, what are we gonna call the new trio? Um. um the i guess maybe the pine guard three or or uh, i don't know i'll have to think about it a little bit more but i do like i think it'll come to us yeah the fandom will manifest something and it'll stick but in the meantime trace horny boys trace horny boys was a mcelroy invention that's true well i think it was a it was a goof and then it just kind of stuck oh yeah But these, yeah, yeah. Oh no, uh, sorry. Uh, these three characters definitely don't feel like Trace horny boys. No, and it's cool. All right. One last comment about episode six from me is that like sometimes Minerva's voice slides into loop a little <laughs> bit, and like especially when when um, Duck did his like kick in the air thing. And then yeah, like, Minerva's yeah. like, yeah, it was rad. And I'm just like, my heart squeezed in my oh. chest a little bit because it just sounded so much like Loop. And I was like, oh, man, I miss my girl. <laughs> I hope like the I hope uh, she makes an appearance in the June live show. Oh, I hope so, too. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. I was going to say this. Know, for the, I was going to say this for the end of the episode. Uh, but Rachel and I are going to be at the Taz show in san francisco in june how exciting Hell yeah how exciting and we're gonna be cosplaying yeah i just yeah <laughs> I, yeah i'm super excited <laughs> okay episode seven. episode seven um i'm just gonna now. i'm just gonna say this right off the bat like you do it well i missed them doing housekeeping stuff like i i thrive on the oh, housekeeping I know. stuff 
Um, yeah, Griffin was saying we're gonna ha- like it feels weird to just like do this, so I'm gonna have to invent some kind of lunar interlude style thing for for to have this yeah. kind of ses- like level up session, yeah. and I'm like psyched for that because again, that was one of my favorite things about Balance was like the cyclical nature of the arcs, mm-hmm. and like you know at the in the in between they go to the back to moon base and they like discuss their level up and they go to the fantasy Goshapon and the fantasy Costco and like I really like, really came to love and appreciate and look forward to those scenes way more than I would have thought I would. Yeah. Like, they were very, they were very valuable to me, I guess. Yes. Definitely 100% agree. Um, so, episode six started with, like, individual vignettes, and then they all got together. Episode seven kind of also started with, like, you know, individual housekeeping, and then they all got together. Yeah, so I yeah. Think, <laughs> the the main advantage of having a lunar interlude between arcs is that you do get to take care of all of these things, um, and, you like, you get to resolve the narrative, what they've been up to, and then you also get to solve the, the gameplay of, well, how did you level up? Um, yeah. And, you know, like, from a podcast perspective, it, it so neatly encapsulates, like, that aspect of the game, because it has to happen. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you know this this go around we they're they're still figuring it out they're still learning um but I I look forward to um like you said having that cyclic like having that cycle back of yeah. we go off for an adventure we come home we talk about it I'm trying to think what they would do <laughs> like they're either going to have to shoehorn in like maybe there'll be like oh it's time to hit the general store and then like Mr. Tarkeesian is the new Leon or something, oh, yeah. and they, like, have so. some kind of scene where they go shopping, or maybe, like, oh, we're gonna go at G- to Gino's or something. Like, I wonder if they could do, like, make one of the, like, establishments in town, other than, like, Amnesty Lodge. Well, I mean, that maybe might be the most likely thing. They <laughs> go to the Amnesty, they, like, talk to the, the cryptids, and they, you know, level up or whatever. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think the way that they did it in episode six was pretty good, that, um... Griffin, because the time between each abomination is about two months, so mm-hmm. for them to be off doing their own thing, maybe with each other, maybe not, um, and then talking about it is, I think it's a pretty good way to go about it. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's right. They did this level up at the beginning of episode seven, but it should have been before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Basically, the the individual stories from episode six should have been like the first half of a lunar interlude, and then yeah, the level ups right. of episode seven should have been the second half. <laughs> that actually matches up pretty well. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and, and I think hmm. that just kind of happened naturally because yeah, there are things that so. needed to happen, and because like that's how Griffin operates. I think it, like he <laughs> may even not have been yeah. thinking about it consciously but um mm-hmm. his instinct was to do this so <laughs> yeah it was definitely yeah. there definitely so so most of this episode was like monster stuff oh yeah i feel like i mean that's the most salient i just listened to it like before we recorded this and that's the most salient thing in my mind and one thing that actually bothers me about monster of the week is the way like investigating a monster works mm. because they're doing they're doing some spe- specific skill like has a name it's a mechanic i forget what the name is i'm sorry listeners investigate uh, a mystery or, yeah i think it's investigate a mystery but basically they get to ask specific questions oh, of the yeah. game master and like Griffin, you know, helps them figure out the information. And for some stuff, he would say, like, okay, here's how you figure this out. But one thing that really threw me was, like, the last question, I think, Clint wants to know, like, what can hurt the monster? And Griffin just says, like, oh, you get the sense that you need to sever the tentacle. And for me, like, that didn't follow at all. And, I mean, that's the same kind of thing, like, 
in in D D, you roll all kinds of checks like that, and it's just like, oh, you remember that this kind of monster, like you heard in a tavern once that this kind of monster, blah blah blah, and you just kind of hand wave it. Yeah. But like this this season and this game, like already has such a the realism is so in- intense for me that hearing them fall back on a hand wavy mechanic like that was kind of jarring. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was kind of I had that kind of feeling too, um, yeah. And I I think it's just maybe I have to get used to this game because this is the game now. But you're yeah. right. Like for them to ask such questions that I feel like they're and I don't know. It feels like they're gaining a, a lot of information easily. But at the same time, they're also rolling pretty good. Like if they That's true. if they yeah. fail that roll, I don't I don't know that they get to ask any questions or maybe they only get to ask one. So. It. I think the game, yeah. like, I think we're looking for it to get a little bit harder, um, but it's just, like, if they roll bad, they get punished for it. Um, well, I think that the improv is so heavy in this arc, and it's so, like, I think this arc is so improv heavy that I kind of forget, like, oh, this is a game they're playing and there's rules, and so then they do, like, a rule check, like like, a check like this, and... According to the rules, yeah, Clint has to figure this out, and like maybe Griffin can't always think of a way to deliver it in a in like a store in a narrative way, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Like, but it still, I wanted to know, like, well, how does Clint know that? Like, does he just get a sense of it? Is it a get? Like, it would be weird for him to for Griffin to frame it like, oh, this is like the insight that Ned makes. Yeah, this is like his guess. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what would have been a good way for Griffin to like explain that without just saying. So I mean, you know, like sometimes you just have to tell things to your players and like break the illusion yeah. a little bit. Like yeah. you have to break the fantasy a little bit and just like get the information out. And like I understand that, but it, I, I don't know. It was a little weird to me. Yeah, I, th- I think as a podcast listener, it kind of takes you out of the narrative because all of a sudden, okay. um, you rolled good, so now you have this knowledge, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> like, and, yeah. and we're used to being kind of spoon-fed a fantasy. Um, yeah. So. Well, I think even I think even in balance with D&D, the rules were just so much more salient, and they were, like, a bigger part of the narrative, mm. and, you know? And, like, yeah. they made a lot of metafictional jokes about the rules and stuff, which I love. That's my favorite shit in, like, tabletop stuff. But, like, in the, the fiction is so much more prominent, I think, in this story that it's just like it's i think it's not it's not clear to me yet how the rules fit in i think oh for monster of the week yeah i feel like i for me the narrative and the rule structure isn't like meshing exactly yet Mm, but maybe i'm just not used to the rules yeah well i kind of feel that way too but i i chalked it up to not to not being familiar with the game yeah yeah that might just be it yeah we talk a lot about how like balance was so endearing to us because we were somewhat familiar I I was somewhat familiar you very familiar (laughs) with the mechanics and with the spells and things so that familiarity kind of like cushioned us and um, made us feel better about what was going on this one it just it might just seem jarring because we're not used to it Um, yeah but I mean it's I think it's still a neat mechanic because and that's how I was trying to justify it to myself I'm like well they get to ask questions the game frames what questions they get to ask and that's just that's how you play the game like yep yeah it is still yeah it is still a game they're playing with rules that like have to be followed so I mean yeah it makes sense it's just like it's a hard job to figure out how to 
deliver that information in a narrative way rather than just like kind of breaking the fiction and info dumping yeah so good luck griffin (laughs) (laughs) um i did want to just quickly mention um the first abomination um i think i might have talked about this in an earlier episode but the first abomination was pretty uh clearly or maybe even griffin mentioned it it was a monster from monster hunter called radoban um which it was well Basically, so there's a monster in Monster Hunter that is just a dinosaur, um, but it's covered in oil, and it rolls around in a graveyard. So it's covered in bones, and it just looks like a bunch of animals put together. And at that time, at that time, uh, Griffin was like heavy into Monster Hunter. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that he ever said it by name, but like listening back, I'm like, oh man, this is totally Radoban. Um, I don't know how I didn't see it sooner because I love both the Adventure Zone and Monster Hunter. Um, <laughs> but I was like thinking about how they were fighting this monster, and it doesn't. Well, it doesn't like reach out or call out to any particular um, Monster Hunter monsters. It does kind mm-hmm. of remind me of. Did you ever play um, Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time? Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. it's like the the water ooze. The water is ooze. that like in the is that. That's not the boss of the I was thinking the water boss. temple. I, I was thinking the boss of the water temple. You know how it is the boss. Oh my god. Well, I the water temple I have like blocked from my mind. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> it is a harrowing experience. Um but it's it's uh you know how and see that's the thing, I haven't played it in a while, but I do remember like tentacles. Yeah, you have to hook shot the, the core yeah, out yeah, of the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember. So yeah, yeah. I'm like expecting there to be something <laughs> to do with Okay, like, Griffin, that get duck his hook shot, okay? <laughs> okay? Beacon, dude, he's already got it. Oh, that's Just true. Fucking beacon wrap the core right out of there. That's true. Or he can like whip it and like pierce it through the water. I was disappointed. I was disappointed we didn't get any beacon dialogue yet. We haven't gotten beacon like at all in two whole episodes yeah when come on justin oh well i want to hear my fave my fave horrible boy <laughs> that i hate so that's the thing love. that's the thing too is i don't think ned keeps um beacon like just on his person because it's a sword and i don't think that he can walk around with a sword so i guess i'm, I'm justifying it by he left beacon at home and beacon's just in a yeah, closet maybe like, that's fine singing <laughs> to himself like god i bet beacon hates that so much no i gotta hear i love this i gotta hear more the of this trouble character like that's that's 100 percent what i expect Beacon to be doing in his closet oh my god um I, uh, go ahead i love duck okay i love duck and i love the way justin is playing yeah i just think yeah the whole scene where like I think I think Justin just has a really clear picture of Duck's very relatable flaws oh, and yeah. is really playing into them and it's like it's it's so fun to have the trope of the chosen hero like the chosen hero kind of thing is 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 a escapist fantasy that's why it's such a popular trope like you are the hero and you have to do the thing cuz you have this special power and like that's why it so frequently that character is a kid because that's the kind of that like fiction really appeals to kids who you know like to going into kind of like a psychology thing here but like <laughs> your kid not like a you know your kid you feel powerless and like having like power fantasies like that is a i think an important part of like childhood fantasizing basically and that's why those stories are you know you have harry potter or whatever like the chosen one kind of yeah, thing yeah it's so fun seeing that trope twisted into like this kind of washed out old man yes so and like ha- yeah and having him like Justin's take on this is like I feel like it's very 
believable and realistic and just, like, playing into, like, I don't know. It's really great. I thought that scene was so interesting. It is really great. And I just think that Justin, you're right. Like, Justin is doing such a great job of building up this character. So yeah. So in, in episode seven, we see we see immediately Duck is not good under pressure. Um, he, yeah, in, yep. in high school, he was like kind of hiding from his destiny and he was, you know, avoiding, he, he didn't want to move to the big town. He didn't want to like get a big career. He didn't feel a calling to do anything as an mm-hmm. adult. He chose a profession that like put him alone in a forest, like most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, duck. He is just not good with pressure. And I, I kind of wonder if maybe they'll flesh that out to kind of, give reason to why he's not going under pressure, but maybe that's just who he is. Uh, his, yeah, I think, yeah. His interaction with the swim instructor was the most pure thing <laughs> I think I've ever seen. That, like, I, and I couldn't tell. I was like, why is Justin messing up so hard? Oh my god, it's Duck. Yeah. Duck is just sucking right now. Cause Duck is just, like, Duck is a very relatable character. Yes. And I think that's why I like him so much. He just he's just panicked. like a very yeah, he's just like a very believable hero. Yeah. Kind of everyman character. Yeah. I, I look forward to um, oh, go, yeah. go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say I was surprised during TTAZZ when Justin said that Cardala and uh, Irene was his like favorite character that he played during the mini arcs because like he just I just feel like he really has such a clear sense of Duck and his personality and his, like, motivations. And I just, like, I don't know, like, I love... Cardallo was really cool, but, mm. like, I, lo- I feel like Justin, like, really gets Duck, you know? Yeah. I want to know what Duck's real name is also. Yes. I think it's such a funny, like, recurring joke almost where, like, someone goes Duck and he goes, it's a nickname. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, yeah. I look, I, you know, I just, I, I really look forward to them kind of delving into it. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if um, the team is going to point out to Duck that, hey, you know, that that was kind of, you froze up back there, bud. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know if they're going to address it. Um, but I, I kind of wonder, like, at some point, I hope that that becomes a thing. Like, I hope someone eventually makes the joke that Duck why is his name Duck? He should be called Chicken. Like, I hope that that's a thing. <laughs> that's a good joke. Oh, my God. Ooh. <laughs> um, but I, like, it's it's. I such... can't wait for Aubrey to, to, to make that joke to him. To make that burn? Yeah, that's sick. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, like, I, I really look forward to them kind of, like, delving in and getting to know each other. Because we see how they do with other people. But I still kind of feel like they haven't really interacted a whole lot with each other. Like, um, Aubrey inserting herself in, uh, I almost said Clint, in Ned's uh, scene. I think that was so satisfying (laughs) because, like, otherwise we don't really see them interact with each other unless Uh they're fighting something. Um, Yeah. So I look... I look forward to that because I hope that there's more because I think that that's what really gets me about Amnesty is these characters have just so much going for them um, and and so much going on that we don't know about yet. So engaging characters and, and uh, strong storytelling, you know, that's what I'm really excited for. Yeah, I think in, I think in balance, one of the things, like, it's hard for me to say a bad word about <laughs> about balance, but like one thing that was always a little not tr- troubling, not troubling, just like one thing that was um that kind of didn't add up exactly is that like 
Trace Horny Boys were supposed to, like, have formed this bond with each other over the course of their journey, and then also remember, like, how close they were when they traveled together for, like, literally a hundred years. But I never really felt, like, them be attached to each other. And I think it's because, like, from the get-go, they weren't these characters. They were just themselves with fantasy, fantasy names. Yeah. And so their relationship was always just, like them as a family and like every time that it came out that they were like did care about each other like the arms outstretched moment it to me it just felt like they they care about each other's characters because they care about each other like yeah. the McElroys yeah. and like like that's what those I mean you can you can obviously spin those scenes as like oh it's these characters caring about each other but it always felt more to me like them as a family and like their characters were just like you know kind of like the thing they put on yeah you know, that's a really... But, oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, so just to wrap up, I feel like they they their their characters don't feel so much like... I'm trying to describe this. I feel like they're, they're, they feel more separated from their characters this time, yeah. but in a good way. They have more distance from them, yeah. and I think they're going to be more... I'm predicting that they will be more invested in, like, developing a relationship between each other. I completely 100% agree. Um, the thing about balance is that in all of their lunar interludes and in all of their interactions... They never really had a story one-on-one with each other. Like, they, they, That's have, true. they would have stories yeah. about them interacting with NPCs, but they, yep. they never really went into, well, what's my relationship to you? In this yeah. one, not only are the boys distanced from their characters, but they also defined, like, well, my character knows your character because you're hiding a sword for me. And, yeah. yeah. Like, and, and even Aubrey, who's new to town, like her personality just lends itself to creating new bonds really quickly. So, yeah. like, they're justifying their relationships with each other. Whereas with yeah. Trace Horny Boys, we love them, but they they didn't really establish a whole... Like, they or maybe, I don't know. They didn't they, really... Yeah, it didn't feel like they had, like, that much of a rapport with each other. Yes. And, like, I don't think they've ever felt like they needed to do those scenes because it's like, of course... Magnus loves Taco because Travis loves Justin, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's like, I think, I think there's going to be more between them in th- this time around, just because of the way that they feel, the way that they're playing these characters, like, I think they have a better sense of, like, yeah, just like kind of like a separation from their characters and yeah. understanding that they need to build that kind of relationship. Yeah. And I already see it, like, the kind of way... Like, I already really like the way Duck and Aubrey interact. Yeah. Just because, like, she's really chipper and, like, silly and, like, kind of this, like, punk kid. And I think Duck is just, like, this old man going, like, oh, God. Like, <laughs> I can't... I lo- it's, like, canon that Duck does not know whether her name is Aubrey or Audrey, you know? Yeah. But that's because Justin keeps missing them up. But it's one of those things that gets interpreted as a character trait. And I just think that kind of little thing is so funny. And the whole, like... The whole, you know, when she was trying to get them to call the abominations bomb bombs and Duck was like, oh God, please no. You know, like yeah, that kind yeah. of thing I think is going to end up being very funny. Yeah. 100% agree. Um, I think that's it for all of my notes. Rachel, did you have anything else? No, I think that's it for me too. Um, let me just flip through my notebook real quick. Yeah, okay. I think that's it for me. Um so, if you want to get in contact with us, you can send us an email at taztalkpodcast at gmail.com, or you can send us an ask on Tumblr at, we are at taztalk.tumblr.com. Neat. 
Um, and if you are of the Twitter persuasion, you can tweet at us. We are at Taz Talk Podcast. Chelsea, I love how you always have a fun new way to describe Twitter. <laughs> uh, do you also love how every time I have to say that, I have to go into the app to literally check? God, is that really what our... Is that, it is. It is. It really is. I've confirmed. <laughs> That's good. Love it. Okay. Um, we're on our way. We are. Let's, See you uh, guys in uh, two weeks. Yep. All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.